Welcome to the Lead to Win podcast. This week, we visit with Terry Tucker, former NCAA Division I basketball player, SWAT hostage negotiator, school security consultant, basketball coach, author, and cancer warrior. I'm your host, Bo Bergen. Let's get to work. Terry has a unique journey. Throughout his career, he's been an NCAA Division I basketball player, a marketing executive, hospital administrator, customer service manager, a SWAT hostage negotiator, business owner, high school basketball coach, and cancer warrior. He's also the author of the book, Sustainable Excellence, which he wrote in 2020. Today, Terry will guide us through what is required for a leader to overcome tough circumstances using his four truths to help you lead your uncommon and extraordinary life. We will also touch on his 10 principles included in his book. Really looking forward to this conversation today as we welcome Terry Tucker to the show. Terry, a warm welcome to you and thanks for coming on the Lead to Win podcast. Well, Bo, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. We covered a little bit of your journey in your intro, uh, but give us kind of an overview in your own words, uh, your background and your story, and what's led you to where you are today. Sure. So I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I am the oldest of three boys. You can't tell this from looking at me, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And as you mentioned, I went to the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina on a basketball scholarship. I have a brother who's six foot seven, who was a pitcher for the University of Notre Dame's baseball team. Another brother who's six foot six, who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers and the National Basketball Association. And then my dad was six five. So if you sat behind our family in church growing up, we used to joke that you weren't gonna see a prayer. You didn't have prayer stance, seeing anything that was going on in front of us. So graduated from college. I'm actually the first person in my family to graduate from college. I move home to find a job. I'm really gonna date myself now, but this was long before the internet was available to help people find employment. As you mentioned, I found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International in their marketing department. That was the good news. Bad news was I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. You know, professionally, you talked a little bit about what I've done, and, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more. But for the last really 11 and a half years now, I've been battling a rare form of cancer, a rare form of melanoma that has seen my foot amputated in 2018, my leg amputated in 2020, right in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And one of the things I learned from my father when he was dying is the importance, <clears throat> excuse me, of having a purpose in life, something that that you believe in your heart and your soul that you're supposed to do. And, it, and I sort of filed that away when, you know, when I was younger for when it was my turn. Well, it's my turn now. And, and one of those things that I've learned is you, you've got to have something to do. You know, having cancer is horrible, but if you sit around and think how horrible it is, your life ends up being nothing. You have to take that and find meaning in that ugliness, meaning, purpose in what we're going through and things like that. So that's what I've been trying to do for these last 11 and a half years. And I appreciate the opportunity to be on here and talk with you today. Yeah. So you have a uh, quite a range of things on your resume. Um, when you think about all those things you've been through or experienced, 
Is there one thing that kind of sticks out as being the most influential in your life or is it kind of a combination of, of everything? I mean, I think overall it's, it's a combination, but there's sort of a backstory. I know if you look at my resume, it kind of looks like a Super Bowl went off on it. You know, it's just kind of all over the place. And I always wanted to be in law enforcement. My grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954 and was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It was not a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle. But my dad always remembered the stories that my grandmother told of that knock on the door. My dad was an infant at the time. When my grandmother got that knock on the door, Mrs. Tucker, grab your son, come with us. Your husband's been shot. That was 1933. So when I expressed an interest in going into law enforcement, my dad was absolutely not. You're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to get out get a great job, get married, have 2.4 kids and live happily ever after. But that's what my dad wanted me to do. That's not what I felt my purpose was. And so I had a major choice when I graduated from college. I could have said, sorry, dad, you know, I love you, but I'm going to go blaze my own trail and do my own thing. Or out of love and respect for you, I will do what you want me to do. So understanding the backstory now, my resume makes a little bit more, more sense because I ended up going into business and I sort of joke, I did what every good son did. I waited till my father passed away and then I followed my own dreams. But of all the things I've done in my life, the thing that I am most proud of, and I don't mean to sound conceited when I say this, is that I never let my dream die. I never let what I felt my purpose was in life die and just settle for wherever I was. I was a 37-year-old rookie police officer, which by most accounts is pretty old to be getting into that line of work but I knew it was what I was supposed to do. So that was probably the thing that had the biggest impact on me, but the journey leading to get to be a police officer was really, really had a much bigger impact than just being a police officer itself. So I wanna get into your uh, four truths a little bit. Um, I, I was looking on your on your website and social media and things like that, um, but I wanted to I wanted to know a little bit more you know, kind of how you've used those four truths and how somebody that may be going through some tough circumstances, how they could apply them to their situations as well. Sure. So the, the four truths I, I refer to sort of as the bedrock of my soul. I, I feel they're just they're just a good place to try to build a quality life off of. And I, I have them on a post-it note here in my office. So I see them multiple times during the day. And so they constantly get reinforced in my mind. And they're just one sentence each. So here they are. First one is control your mind or your mind is going to control you. The second one is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. The third one I look at kind of as a legacy type of truth. And it's this, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one I think is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And like I say, these, these are sort of the, the, the bedrock of my soul. They're, they're an anchor, they're a foundation. I, I know they're immovable. I know they're things that no matter what happens to me are going to be consistent, are going to be constant in my life. So I, I have a very strong faith as well, but between the four truths, there are things that should I should I do this treatment for my cancer? Should I you know get involved in this project? There are things that I use to help me, I think, make better decisions in my life. 
So kind of following up on that, the, you mentioned number three in regards to legacy. Uh, this is usually a question I like to say for the end, but I kind of want to know what what do you want your legacy to be and what do you want to be remembered by? You know, if, if you think about our lives, it's, it's, it's been said that we die twice, once when our physical body dies and then the very last time that somebody either mentions us or remembers us. And we're here for such a short period of time, you know, a hundred years from now, nobody's going to, anybody who's listening to this, nobody's going to remember we were even here. And I think that, the, you know, the thing that I always say is that, how do I want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as somebody that connected, it's somebody that connected with other people. I think if COVID sh showed us anything, it's just how much we need each other. You know, we, we didn't do well during COVID, you know, Domestic violence rates went up, alcoholism rates went up, drug abuse rates went up. We're not good by ourselves. We're much better together. We win as a team, as as you know. So you don't win by yourself. I don't care even if you play, you know, tennis or golf where it's just you and and, and the ball. No, there are people behind the scenes. There are nutritionists, there are, there are coaches, there are doctors that get you to where you want to be. So how do I want to be remembered? I just want to be remembered as somebody that connected and made a difference with other people. Switching gears just a little bit, you know, the the SWAT hostage negotiator piece of your resume, um, I'm sure you get multiple questions about that every podcast that you go on, but I want to kind of dive into the mindset that that requires um, as the negotiator. Uh, talk a little bit about what you have to do to be an effective negotiator and you know even i know in those high high level situations high pressure situations but also just you know negotiating in general on what's best for you and your your organization maybe but just kind of go into the mindset required for that yeah i, I let's step back a minute and just talk about how we communicate with each other i remember when i first started as a negotiator they gave us a a formula i'm going to try to remember yeah okay so it was 73855 and, and it had to do with how we communicate with each other. 7% of how we communicate are the words that we use. And think how much we stress about, am I saying the right thing? That's only 7% of how you communicate with another human being. 38% of it is the tone of voice that we used with those words. And then 55% of how excuse me, we communicate our message has to do with our body language and our facial expressions. So as negotiators, what we didn't have was that 55%. And as police officers, 99% of what we did was usually face-to-face -face with another individual, whether I was stopping you to give you a ticket for running a stop sign or whether I was answering a radio run for a fight at a bar, that was face-to-face -face with other human beings. So you could take those visual clues. You could, you know, if I was talking to you and you were kind of, you know, looking around, I was like, well, you know, Maybe Bo's going to run or he's looking to, to escape. Or if you were standing there balling up your fists, I could see that. And I could I could do what was appropriate for why I was there. I could sit you down. I could handcuff you. I could put you in my car. But as negotiators, we didn't have that 55%. So a lot of times when we negotiated with people, we had no idea why we were there. We had no idea why they did what they did. And so we had to just pick a rabbit hole and go down it. But I didn't have the luxury of saying something and seeing the person on the other end kind of roll their eyes like, oh, I can't believe he said that. What an idiot. So I had to figure things out. We all had to figure things out, certainly based on what people were saying, but also what they weren't saying 
and how they were saying. And the overarching theme in any negotiation is just the, the overarching thing in any relationship you have, whether it's with your spouse or your kids or your boss, it's trust. I'm trying to get an individual that I've never met before, that has never met me, who I'm not face-to-face -face with, to trust me to get them out. So two things I'm gonna, I'll, I'll end this with. Number one is the importance of listening. And I'm sure you're on, it's like, well, of course, we all listen. No, we don't. We listen to respond as opposed to listen to understand. So it's like, hurry up, Bo, get, say what you're gonna say, get your two cents, because I'm gonna get my two cents in here. That's listening to respond. Listening to understand is, okay, Bo, I hear what you're saying. I may agree with you, I may not agree with you, but help me to understand where you're coming from. We call that tact tactical empathy. Help me to understand where you're coming from. I may not necessarily agree with you, but help me to understand that, that builds trust. I, I want to move into kind of your your book. I haven't had a chance to uh, to read it yet, but anything that says excellence, I'm I'm interested in, um, and that's that's part of the reason why I started this podcast. I'm I'm always, you know, myself. I'm always looking to grow, and um, and I hope my listeners are as well. But tell us a little bit about what the book's based on, and uh, you know, some things within it. Sure. So the, the book is really born out of two conversations that I had. One was with the former player that I had coached in high school. I coached girls high school basketball when we lived in Texas. And had one of my players moved to the area in Colorado where my wife and I live with her fiance. And one night the four of us had dinner. And after dinner, I remember saying to her that I was really excited that she was living close and I could watch her find and live her purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? And I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents and living that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man reach out to me on social media from college. And he said, what do you think are the most important things that I should learn? Not to just be successful in my job or in business, but to be successful in life. And Bo, I didn't want to give him that, you know, get up early, work hard, help up. I, I didn't want to give him sort of the cliches that we all know. I wanted to go deeper with him. So I took some time and I was I was writing some notes. And eventually I kind of had these, these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I stepped back and I was like, you know, I got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody's life who emulates that principle. So as I mentioned, I had my leg amputated in 2020. During the months I was healing after that surgery, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories. And they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. And that's how sustainable excellence came to be. And I'll give you, a, it's always fun for me because each, each um, principle is a chapter. And so whenever somebody reaches out, there's always one principle that resonates with the reader. And there's one principle that resonates with me, even though I wrote all 10 of them, and I'll give it to you because I'm actually not real proud that I've done this in my life. And the principle is this, most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I know I've done that. I know I've wanted to you know, start a business or something like that. Say, so, oh, wait a minute, maybe I'm not smart enough, or maybe I don't have enough information, or what will people think about me if I fail? That's thinking with our fears and our insecurities. That's not thinking with our minds. 
And whenever I speak to young people, especially in person, I always tell them, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be those things you didn't do. And by then, it's going to be too late to go back and do them. Yeah, that's good stuff. So if I'm a leader uh, looking to establish, I'm a big systems guy, and I'm, I'm not... I'm not by any means an expert in establishing systems, but um, if I'm a leader that wants to establish a system for success, whether that's you know outcome based or you know professionally based, what what advice would you have for somebody that wants to you know be more system minded uh, as a as a leader? I, I guess I would I would throw this number out here. The there are 163 CEOs of Fortune 500 companies today that have been United States Marines. Most of them enlisted, not necessarily officers, where you would expect you know to, to groom and find leadership. And, and I think there's a reason, because the Marines have figured out how to develop leadership within a system, with, with, within a, here's the mission, Here's what needs to get done. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. You guys figure out how to do it, or you women figure out how to do it. But it need this needs to get done. So I, I would definitely say there, there's a book called Trust Based Leadership that that is a lot about Marine Corps leadership in general. Great book. I would read that. Um, the other thing I would do is be a lifelong learner, and not about things that you know, things you don't know. Read fiction. Read about things you know, like. My my daughter gave my wife and I a master class the the uh, for Christmas last year, and you can take all different classes online. I took one the other day from Misty Copeland, who's the head ballerina at the American Ballet Company in New York, first African American woman to hold that position. I don't know anything about ballet, but but I wanted I want to expand my knowledge. How does Misty Copeland, this incredibly gifted athlete and dancer, how does she do what she does? Find other leaders and get out there and and figure out what they do and and borrow it, take it, steal it, whatever you want to do and incorporate it in your life. I mean, we've been around as human beings long enough that most of the stuff we're going to cultivate, we're going to figure out, has already been done before. Other people have done it, in, including the people that have made the mistakes. Study why people made made the mistakes. Study why people made errors or weren't successful in life, and then flip it and figure out a way to be successful in your life. So we don't need to go reinvent the wheel. We just need to find out great leaders in our lives. And a lot of those I do think come from the military. And I think part of that is the discipline to, to do the things that you don't wanna do. You know, one of the things we talked about in the Four Truths was embrace the pain and the suffering. Well, how, how do you do that? It's real simple. You do things you don't wanna do. You know, I got up this morning. Oh, I'm running late. I don't want to make the bed. Make the bed. You know, I got to study for this test today. I don't really want to study for it. I want to go party with my friends. Study for the test. I want. I should get off the couch. I should go to the gym. I really, I don't really want to do that. Go to the gym. Do the things that make you uncomfortable. If you do those things every day, and they don't have to be big things. They can be small things. And I try to do that every day in my life. Do something that makes you nervous, that scares you, that makes you uncomfortable, that's potentially embarrassing. Because if you do, if you do those small things every day, 
when the big disasters in life hit us, and they hit all of us. We lose somebody who's close to us. We get let go from our job. We find out we have a chronic or a terminal illness. You will be so much more resilient to handle that pain when it presents itself. Yeah, I was reading, uh, I don't know if you read much John Maxwell, but uh, Mark Cole, his CEO, I was looking into some servant leadership stuff and um, he listed three things that leaders should do to become a servant leader. And the third one was move into action. And it sounds very simple, but sometimes it, all it takes is just starting something and almost seeking out, you know, you know, that's going to be hard to start seek it out and do it. And, you know, more often than not, if you're already, if you make the decision to go to the gym and you get to the gym, you're going to work out. Yeah. You know, it might be hard, but uh, you're going to do it just because you've already moved into action to do it. So that's good stuff. You know, this is kind of a big, big question, but what do you believe or what have you seen to be the most important thing a leader can do to kind of develop that continuous growth mindset um, on a day-to-day -day basis? I, I would say a very simple thing is to, is to read. And, and, and again, I, I would not say, you know, how do you be successful in life? You, you take what you're curious with and you meet at the crossroads of what you're committed to. So whatever you're curious about and, and you're willing to, I, I want to know more about that. I want to study about that. That, that's probably where your purpose in life will line up. And that's great. But I think you need to expand yourself. I think you can sort of pigeonhole yourself. It's like, I'm really great at benefits and human resources. I'm just giving an example. Okay. But if, if that's all you are, then you really pigeonhole yourself. What other things interest you in your life? What are the things are you, are you curious about? And I would, I would absolutely say, be curious. That's one of the things when I was a negotiator, they always told us use your curious voice. And, and one of the things we used to do was what we call parroting or mirroring, where you would say something, you would talk for a while, and then all I would do was parrot back to you either the last three words you said or the most important few words that you said, and then I would go silent and I would use that silence. So I, I think it's incredibly important to be curious and, and, and to always ask why. And I say that because as negotiators, we never asked why questions. We, we never asked that because it would be like, well, Bo, why did you do that? Oh, wait a minute. That sounds accusatory. That sounds like I can get to the same thing. Bo, what got us to this point? You can ask the same questions in a softer way and still get that information. So be curious. What's going on here? What, what made this happen? Why were we successful? Why weren't we successful? debrief I, I mean as negotiators on a SWAT team I mean we could negotiate from eight o'clock at night till four in the morning when we were done at four in the morning we went and debriefed we were all exhausted but we went and debriefed because that's where you learn what went right what went wrong what should we do differently that's those are the things that leaders I think ask those questions what are we doing right what are we doing wrong and what should we do differently you ask those questions and it probably would be amazing how your your people will be, oh, he cares or she cares. Because I, I and both this has probably happened to you. I know this has happened to me in my business career. There'd be a problem. So everybody gets around a conference table and the boss comes in, the boss says, All right, here's the problem. And then the boss says, Well, here's how I see the problem being solved. And then they go around the table and they ask you for opinions. Now, what idiot is going to say something contrary to what the boss just said in terms of his solution? If you're the boss, a better way to do that 
would be to say, come into the meeting, sit down at the table. All right, here's the problem. How do you think we should solve it? And then be quiet. Because then people are more like, oh, yeah, he or she cares and wants to hear my opinion. And you're going to get better opinions if people are, are freer to say what they feel is the right way. And most of those people are in the trenches. Those are the people that are doing it day in and day out. They know what the problem is. They know how to solve it. Just because you're the boss, don't think you know everything. And you hit on a great point. Servant leadership. Be a servant. Care about other people. As the leader goes, so does the team. So does the organization. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. If you're a lousy leader, you're going to have a lousy company or a lousy team. If you're a great leader, you're much more likely to have a great team or a great company. Absolutely. I'm a firm believer in that for sure. When we talk about leadership, you know, the outside world often uh, measures a leader's effectiveness based on maybe the outcomes of their organizations or, you know, the successes, uh, their own de definitions of successes. Uh, do you do you think that's an effective measurement of a leader's effectiveness or do you think there's more that defines that? I think there's a lot more that defines it. And I'll, I'll I'll give you the best definition of success that I have ever heard in my life. When I was when I was growing up, John Wooden was the basketball coach at UCLA and at the time was the winningest men's basketball coach in history. And Wooden had a definition of success. Now, keep in mind, the most successful as governed by the number of wins that the man had. Here was his definition of success. Success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did the best to become the best that you're capable of becoming. You know, this, you know, I'm going to give 150%. Well, you can't give 100. You, you can give 100%. You, you can do the very best you can. But how many people actually do that? How many people are, are willing to, to actually give everything they have, to lay it all on the line, win or lose? If you lay it all on the line, you know, I used to tell my players, it's like, you have no control over whether we're going to win this game or not. You have absolutely no control. Now, you can go out and execute and give us a good chance of winning, but you can't guarantee that we are going to win, which is why it's always great to see all these upsets in, in sports and things like that. It's fun to see that. It's like, yeah, that little team came in and beat, you know, the, this big powerhouse team. That That's what makes it so much of success is heart. So much of success is I gave everything I possibly could. And if you do that, it doesn't matter what the scoreboard says. Because if you do that consistently, if you learn that in athletics, and I think that's one of the things that team sports teaches you. It teaches you how to win, but it also teaches you how to lose. It teaches you how to be a good teammate. It teaches character. It teaches so many things, which is why I always recommend people be part of a team. I mean, you know, it could be the band team. It doesn't have to be sports, but so much of what I learned in in life came from sports, including probably one of the most important things, and, and that was to be part of something that's bigger than yourself. You know, you realize on a team that if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, your parents down, etc. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. So I say, I absolutely, if you're judging your life by wins and losses, you're missing so much. That 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 has nothing to do. We're all going to win. We're all going to lose. That, that, that's not really that important. What's important is, did you give everything you had in preparation and commitment during the game? If, if the answer to that question is yes, then in my book, you're a winner.
last question here. Um, in your opinion, what do you believe is the number one thing that a leader must do or the quality they must have to leave a lasting impact on their organization and the people that they lead? I, I think you you already said it, and, and I'm going to expand on it a little bit. Be a servant, and and I'm and I'm going to use a word that guys don't usually talk about much, and that word is love. And I I talked about Coach Wooden a minute ago. I remember listening to an interview that he gave to a reporter, and and I I hung on everything. I, he was giving this interview. I had a pad of paper and a pencil, and you know I'm like, all right, come on, Coach, give me some good X's and O's. Give me something I can use here. And the reporter asked him. What's the most important thing you want your players to learn? You want your players to understand. And he had, he coached some of the greatest players in the world, Bill Walton, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and, and things like that. He said, I want my players to understand the importance of love. And I was like, no, come on, give me some good X's and O's. I was 13 years old. I, I didn't understand. I didn't have the emotional maturity to understand that. But what he, what he understood as a coach is, yes, I, I want to win here at UCLA so that I can keep my job, so to speak. But my big win in life is what these men do after after th this. You know, do they do they play in the NBA? Do they become business owners? Do they have good families? Are they good fathers? Are they good members of the community? That to him was what was important. And that had to do with what do you love? I love my career. I love my God. I love my family. I Whatever that ends up being in, love, being in life, so understand you need to be a servant. We were put here to serve. Mother Teresa said, God never asked us to be successful. He asked us to be faithful. And I think not only faithful to him, but faithful to each other, caring about each other, making a difference. At the end of the day, nobody's going to care that you made $100 million. Nobody's going to say, gee, I wish Bo had $10,000 more in his bank account on your deathbed. What they are going to say is, I remember how Bo treated me. I remember how Bo made a difference in my life. I remember how Bo impacted me as a human being. If you keep that in mind, that is success, however you look at it. Absolutely. So I end most of my episodes uh, with some rapid fire questions and yeah. kind of lighten the mood and let us get to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so there's some random ones and I've got four of them for you. So here we oh. go. Um, I want to know who the toughest player you've ever played against is. Um, Michael Jordan. You played against Mike. Yeah, it was my it was kind of a funny story. My senior year uh, at the Citadel, Michael Jordan's freshman year, uh, we played in what was called the North-South doubleheader. Now, talk about this tournament being stacked against us. They took two teams from North Carolina, which just happened to be North Carolina and North Carolina State, and two teams from South Carolina, which just happened to be the Citadel, my school, and Furman University. And we played a round robin. And so Friday night, I play against Michael Jordan, who was not the Michael Jordan that everybody thinks he was at the time. James Worthy was actually their best player. That was 1982. North Carolina would go on to win the national championship that year. Then the following night, Saturday night, we play against Jim Valvano and North Carolina State who the following year, 1983, they would go on to be the national champion. So in the course of one weekend, I got to play against two national championship teams. Funny story, I mentioned my brother who was a pitcher for the University of Notre Dame. He's a basketball coach in Chicago. He coached both Michael Jordan's sons. 
He said, so one day I'm at practice and I'm, it's toward the end of practice. I'm teaching the kids a drill and I look up and nobody's paying attention to me. And so I look where the players are, are looking. It was at the, the gym entrance. Jordan had come into the gym as a dad to pick his kids up after practice and take them home. So my brother looks at him and says, hey, Michael, mm, a little bit of a distraction. Would you mind stepping out in the hall until practice is over? And Jordan and his wife were incredibly gracious people. He's like, yeah, sure, coach. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. My brother thought later, gee, I'm probably the only coach in the history of basketball that ever kicked Michael Jordan out of practice. So anyway, so my <laughs> Michael Jordan story. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, favorite vacation spot? Um, Charleston, South Carolina. Favorite thing to do outside of work? I'll be with my family. That, that, that's a no-brainer. And finally, uh, what's your favorite movie of all time? Boy, that's that's such a hard question. Um, if you want to see a grown man cry every single time at the end of a movie, show me Field of Dreams. Um, Hoosiers uh, was big. We lived in Cincinnati, the, that town that hickory it was really a town called Milan, indiana um i've been there i've been to the gym i've i've, I've been in in the town i mean the, the museum for the Milan uh team is is in the is in some shop and i remember my brother and i went there the shop was closed but it said if you need something call this number so we called the number the woman who owned the shop came down opened it up and let us go in and kind of see the memorabilia so I would say probably their field of dreams or, or Hoosiers. Yeah. Well, Terry, I really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, a lot of, a lot of really good stuff packed in and uh, hopefully my listeners can take some bits and pieces of it and apply it to their situations. And I, I really look forward to following you from here on out. And uh, your, your story is very inspiring and motivating. And I would encourage uh, anybody that's listening to this to check, check Terry out and uh, you know, his, his work and things like that. So again, thank you for coming on and I, I wish the best to you moving forward. Well, Bo, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed talking with you today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the lead to win podcast. You can find all of Terry's links in the description of this episode if you'd like to connect or want more information. Be sure to set those notifications to receive updates on new episodes. The Lead to Win podcast can be found on Spotify, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts, and a new episode comes out every Tuesday. I'm your host, Bo Bergen. Until next time, now go do the work. <laughs>